The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson with TC Zenka, as always. And this week, TC, we've got some old guys to talk about, don't we? Yeah, I'm super pumped to talk about some guys who are actually older than me. That's that's really exciting. It hasn't happened in a long time, really. <laughs> no, certainly not as a focus. And and coming into focus this week was the, uh, the one-year extension signed by Charlie Morton. Atlanta made the offer. He took it. It's a one-year extension worth $20 million for the 2022 season uh, with an option for 2023 with, I, I believe, no buyout, which is an interesting note on the contract yeah. uh, overall. But in the big picture, this is kind of a big deal. Morton kind of stunk at the start of the year. He's been lights out since. Uh, how do you feel when you see that Charlie Morton is re-upped to stay in Atlanta for another season? I feel bummed for our guys, the Nats and the Phillies, who are going to have to keep facing him. For the for the Braves, it's a great deal. I mean, he's <clears throat> any short-term commitment like this is a good idea. $20 million is a lot of money, but for one season, the Braves can definitely handle it. It gives them – it maintains their long-term flexibility so they can still sign. You know, they're not hampered by signing Freddie Freeman to an extension whenever they decide to do that, as I'm sure they will. And he's a significant – for another rotation piece, like it's hard to get guys of his quality without hampering your long-term books. I mean, there simply aren't free agents out there like Morton and certainly not guys who are willing to sign for, you know, one year or two years at a time. And that second option year is kind of incredible to have a club option without a buyout. Yeah. It means that the Braves just have a, you know, they have him for two years if they want him, And if not, if he's terrible next year, then fine. They, you know, they cut the cord and they're good to go. They can lean back into the young guys, but for now, certainly the way he's pitched this year, he's been their best pitcher really by far. He's been their most consistent guy despite the, you know, the tough start that you talked about. And they, now they're on the verge of the playoffs where, you know, he's going to have the opportunity to add another chapter to kind of the, the you know, Charlie Martin late, late career heroic, heroics. So it's a, it's a good deal all, all around for, for the Braves. Yeah, and, and Morton gets to stay close to home. That was his thing. He wanted to stay close to his house in Florida, his family. That was why he loved being a part of the Rays for in 2019 and 2020. He's really on quite a five-year run, starting as a 33-year-old when the Astros signed him ahead of the 2017 season. Uh, after really kind of uh, being really good, but having some up-and-down years with injuries in terms of being able to get in the game, 
Uh, he there were a couple of years between uh, you know before he signed in Houston where he he only threw like less than seventy innings. Uh, he had a couple others under a hundred. So I, this is kind of like a late career renaissance, especially for him to burst on the scene the way he did. Uh, and I could imagine him really wanting to win another World Series, and you could do that with where he is, right? Like they're stocked, and they're only going to be better next year, presuming health for Ronald Acuna. Uh, so you have Morton as a 37-year-old re-upping for what is his age 38 and 39 seasons, effectively, potentially the rest of his career. He really, really struggled out of the gate, wondering, you know, and he was throwing like 93 last year. You know, after eight starts this year, he'd averaged less than five starts, uh, five innings per start. He had an ERA over five. He had a whip of 1.44. He was walking nearly four batters per nine, uh, a 25% K rate. And in the 20, 20 starts since then, 120 innings, 2.95 ERA, 0.94 whip, uh, and a walks per nine under three, and a 30% strikeout rate. So he's really Charlie Morton at this point, right? Like, I, I don't know what else there is to say about him. You mentioned it. He's a top-of-the-rotation arm. Those, these kinds of arms don't come up a lot. They all get to pair him with Max Fried. It's not like the team has a ton of certainty behind those two. So getting him is a really, really critical piece. And it makes me think, you know, are we just at a point where starters, when they're at such a level, they can just kind of age gracefully and and play at such a high level until they choose to retire instead of when the game decides they don't want them anymore? And we certainly have a couple of guys who are aging gracefully in the league right now. I mean, and not just, you know, 34, 35, 36-year-old dudes. I mean, Adam Wainwright is 40 years old, and he's having his, the best season he's had in years. The Cardinals, yeah. he's just crushing. He's Last I checked, he was third in the majors in innings pitch. Like, dude's a workhorse, and he's 40 years old. He's he's 40 years old. Like, that's just insane <laughs> for a pitcher. Max Scherzer has not slowed down. He's won all eight of his starts with the Dodgers. He's, what, 37? Yep. 36 or 36, 37, I think, is, is his season this year. I mean, he's been the same man Max we've we've ever seen before. So it's there's certainly guys who are able to do it at the same time. You know, the other conversation in the game around pitchers is always about the injuries and the, and the repeated incidents of Tommy John. But we do have these guys. I mean, Charlie Morton, he had Tommy John. So did Adam Wainwright. Like, these guys are able to maintain longer careers, even with the arm injuries. So... I don't know that this is a, a new thing if they're like, you know, displacing the, the aging curve here, but it certainly looks good for these couple of guys. And, and I think what's surprising is not just their age, but it's the performance where the, the, the level of performance where they are. It's like they are not slowing down. And in the case of Morton, this is really he's as good as he's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. Like really, as this is the lowest whip he's ever had. Uh, I think it's like his second lowest ERA for the year or something like that. And like that, like there are flaws in these numbers. We're not saying ERA is any grand marker, but when it's that low and it comes with a guy who has a track record, it's a little easier to buy into in terms of it actually being an indicator of his performance. And he's he really is back where he was. He, <laughs> you mentioned Wainwright and Morton. They are the two oldest qualified starters in the league this year. They've combined for over 325 innings. Uh, Zach Greinke is right behind them. Scherzer is four. And then Wade Miley, he, uh, he and Jin Ryu, you so, Darvish. You know, why don't, we, why don't we focus on 
Scherzer for a minute here before maybe we get into Wainwright because it seems like they are maybe in different levels or different stratospheres if close, especially given age and, and relative performance of what we might ultimately expect. Uh, you know, Scherzer, since coming over to the Dodgers, you mentioned it, he's won all eight of his start. Well, they haven't lost in any of eight, his eight starts, right? It looks like he, and he's gotten a win in six of them. Um, he went five plus innings in all of them, except one where he went three and a third uh, and still somehow struck out six despite getting knocked around uh, without walking anybody. He has only five walks across these eight starts. He's only given up two home runs. He's struck out 63 batters in 43 innings. He has a 105 ERA, uh, a 1-3-3 FIP. And, like, is he slowing down at all, ever? Like, you've witnessed him a a ton, and, and everybody's aware of him on the national stage. He's been on franchises all over the country, and he's really by and large always been a talented guy and he's been this kind of ace for like a decade yeah i mean he's been this guy for you know back to his detroit days right before leaving detroit and for the nationals he was you know he's often talked about as maybe the best free agent signing ever he won a world series there he won multiple Cy youngs there he is now and yet you you kind of wonder if if he isn't a little bit even rejuvenated by being in la i mean you see, you see him now, he's 36, he, and he's as good as he's ever been. I mean, pitching for the Nationals and pitching for the Tigers is great, but it's not the same thing as pitching for the Dodgers. And as much as I hate to see him there, it's a pretty exciting place for him. He is now the best pitcher or one of the you know top five pitcher in the game, as he's been for a very long time, but now he's doing it on not only – you know, a top five team in the game, but also a top five team in terms of their profile. Like the Dodgers are as much, the, you know, the center place of the, of the like major league baseball universe as any place right now. I mean, it's, it's shifted from New York probably to, to the Dodgers of the last couple, couple of years. So, and Max, you know, he likes the attention. He likes the, he likes the spotlight. He's not a guy who shines away from it in any way. All he needs is a challenge to kind of up his game. So I don't know how long he, he can keep doing it, but he's like, he's a marvel. He's like single-handedly kept the nationals in, in contention for, you know, six, seven years. It's just kind of amazing to see what he's, what he's doing. The amount of strikeouts, his strikeout rates, his, his control. He just doesn't walk guys. There's like no, there's just no flaw in Mad Max's game. And he's such an important clubhouse presence there's probably not another pitcher I'd want on my roster if I were going to the playoffs than, than Max Scherzer, frankly. I, I was going to ask you about the attention thing, and not in the sense that like he goes and, and finds the spotlight, but he very much does want to be there, uh, and he very much does you know, thrive in it. Like We've seen him in all sorts of pressure situations, right? Um, do you think this is... like we, we know he kind of worked his way into the Dodgers, uh, we know that he could have been traded to the AL East, and he said no, uh, that he used his 10 and 5 rights, and good on him for doing it. Do you think there's anything about being back in a competitive landscape? Like, this is one of the things, like, I, I, I kind of love talking about it because we can't necessarily measure it, but we can observe it to a certain extent. How much do you think that weighs in on him being able to go on a run like this as opposed to any eight-game stretch from Max Scherzer? I think it's huge. I mean, he loves a challenge. Like the only thing 
the thing that drives Max most is being told that he can't do something. I and mean, that's why like the black eye game in 2019 with the nationals was such a big deal. Like he hit the ball off his, he bunted the ball off his own face, you know, broke his nose and gave himself a black eye. And that was all he needed to kind of the thought that, Oh, maybe he'll, he'll take a start off. Like not a chance that drives him to get back out there and be on his game more than anything. I mean, his kind of trademark grunting when he gets to the fifth, sixth inning, right? This is him. He's able to reach down. He's one of these guys who can reach down and get something, something more, right? And he always does. I think it is, it is absolutely a a boon to his performance that he now gets to be in the middle of a pennant race. And like you said, he's not a guy who seeks out the the spotlight. He is a machine in terms of his his routine. He does not break his routine at all. I mean, they were talking earlier earlier this year. There was the story of him going out and doing his regular warm-up routine when there was a, a graduation at Nats Park. Like, there were, it was a graduation <laughs> being filmed there or being shown on the big screen, and he just yeah, went out there and he's yeah. playing long toss, like, doing his thing. Like, he's like, no, this is this is my park. This is what I do, you know, two days before I pitch. This is the routine. You don't break the routine. And he said the same stuff two nights ago when I think it was the first game that the Dodgers lost that he that he started. And he was like, he struck out 13. And he was, it's process, not results. You never focus on the results. And that's the, the kind of guy who – is able to go out there day after day and just shove. And I think it's, you know, being on that Dodgers, uh, in that Dodgers rotation is, is absolutely an exciting thing to him. I think he might be even more so if, if Kershaw were in the lineup in the, in the rotation there with him. And I hope Kershaw is able to get back for the playoffs. Cause that's going to be, that's just an absurd rotation come playoff time. If they have Mad Max and Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller and Urias, all in the same rotation. I mean, that's – the Dodgers are just so good, man. It's just ridiculous. It really is kind of ridiculous, but it is also to the point where it's kind of fun to cheer for them when they have a guy like Scherzer. Uh, God, despite I know. Winning oh, that's the worst year, part. Right? Like, yeah, you kind of don't want to cheer for the team that just won, but like Scherzer's so fun to watch, and he has been and stays that way. And you're talking about a uh, process over results that made me think the way even he is mechanically – um, he, he's not like Jacob DeGrom, lawless mechanics, but it is so fluid. Uh, every pitch, like every pitch is, is the same amount of fluid and the same amount. Uh, and he, like, it was Owen McGratton at Fangraphs who had a, a piece earlier this year about him using his fastball differently in the game because he knows he can, and that's really, really useful for him to be able to uh, go through the game like that. That's kind of like turning his fastball into numerous different weapons. Uh, so, in, and even talking about his stuff at large, it really hasn't changed. If we looked at his pitch mix before and after becoming a Dodger, it wouldn't be to the extent where anything sticks out where the Dodgers were like, oh, Max, have you thought about this? No, this was very much an acquisition for them as a team where it's like, like the Astros signing uh, Charlie Morton and just, helping him do the best thing possible is uh, like a set it and forget it guy. You're not telling Max Scherzer about how to improve his game. He knows. And that's what, that's part of what I think makes him uh, to this point pretty timeless throughout his career as a 37 year old. I can uh, for Scherzer was that we simply don't see pitchers going into their age 37 season, which is where he's at now. He turned 37 a month ago, strike out players at the rate, that he had in the past. Now, granted, the game has changed. There are more strikeouts every year. It's just a growing part of baseball. 
So that offsets it a little bit. But you can't fake the things that he has done because overall, for the year, it is kind of just absurd to see a guy who is now 37 striking out 35% of batters, walking less than 6% of batters. Those are the kinds of rates that are just, like, incredible, like, gobsmack, ridiculous types of rates. Uh, in terms of K-minus walk rate, Scherzer's tops in all of baseball at 37 now, 29.8% ahead of Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole by a few fractions of a point, and pretty much ahead of everybody else by numerous percentage points. So it really is... It, it, it feels like appointment baseball because for as good as Scherzer could be, and he might be able to be the one who decides when he wants to stop pitching... You don't know how long we're going to get it for. Yeah, I mean, we don't. But we know that right now he's been as solid as ever before. And, you know, like we started talking about, you know, we have Charlie Morton. We have, uh, you know, Zach Grinke still kicking around. People are still looking at Justin Verlander as a possible acquisition next season when he's going to be 38, 39. We have Adam Wainwright. And these are guys that are on playoff teams, right? These aren't just guys who are barely sticking sticking around the league for PR purposes, these are some of the best pitchers we have in the game right now. And I do wonder about, yeah. you know, as, as you know, we've had this influx of young players there, we have a lot of young offensive players, right? All the, all the big names of Cunha and Tatis and, and, and Vlad jr. And Soto like these and Wander Franco. Now these like, you know, crazy, crazy young players are all on the offensive side of the ball and pitching wise, we have a lot of these, kind of old dogs still hanging around. And you do wonder if maybe there's a, you know, if the, if the, maybe the pitching agent curve is, is changing a little differently than the hitters agent curve or, and the other thing you kind of wonder about is with the, you know, we have the whole sticky stuff cracked down and it hasn't affected some of these guys, right. As much as they say, you know, it's been in the game forever and, and it's, it's, you know, been passed down to the, Clubhouse generations, you know, as Garrett Cole told us, like, you know, Charlie Bourne's spin rates haven't changed. They're the same. Nah. And he's, you know, one of the prime guys you might look at because his, because he has such crazy spin rates. You know, Max Scherzer is still out there shoving. And I don't know, maybe there's something to these guys knowing how to pitch, knowing, knowing a little bit more of the art to it that seems to have not completely gone away from the game. But, you know, maybe these young guys aren't, aren't quite there yet and they're still kind of just throwing yeah I, you know i think that might be some of it uh i think that they came up in an age when maybe they could use their raw talent because it was at such a high level but also take into consideration that you only get so many bullets so you might as well use them to the to the best of your ability like that's kind of uh what we see a lot now like We've talked uh, on and off throughout the course of this season about the five-and-dive type of players uh, in terms of starting pitchers where they don't go long, they might blow up, and you might not get five, but if you get five or six, it could be really strong innings. Uh, I, I think they have been allowed to grow beyond that. I think that their skill limit uh, is so much higher, or skill threshold really, is so much higher than the average pitcher. I, I wonder if you're saying, uh, you know, like, like you were saying about possibly seeing the aging curve, uh, bump a little bit before our eyes. I wonder if it's that or like I always wrestle with this. If it's that kind of thing or if it's maybe a selection type of bias because they're the best pitchers and the best pitchers 
tend to stay good longer, right? Or they have more room for error. But we're not seeing right. them take that room for error. And that's the really interesting thing to me because even Adam Wainwright, who looked like he was taking that room for error, who did look like he was a, a kind of a fish in a barrel at one point, he's been lights out the last couple of years too. Even, you know, like he has, I think, the lowest ERA of all qualifier in 75 things over the last couple of seasons. Uh, we're going back through the bizarro shortened 2020 season. Uh, but now, like, if I asked you what his ERA is off the top of your head, how low would you go? Three something, something below below three five, probably. Two point nine one. After being three point one five last year, isn't that like, yeah, like kind of giggle worthy, right? Like what? Adam Wainwright, That's just insane. sub three ERA. God, I hate him so much. God, just, <laughs> he's so good. Is this just strictly a Cubs thing about him being in the division forever and making it that much harder to uh, to enjoy? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's, I mean, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina have teamed up three hundred freaking times. Three hundred times I've had to watch those guys go at it and just be and just be like excellent, just consistently excellent. Yeah, three hundred freaking times. Uh, just unbelievable. I mean, and you know, Wainwright hasn't been great forever. He's, you know, he had this really great stretch. Obviously, came up and and kind of took the game by storm by by being a closer in that for the 2006 title team, which is you know a great way to come up. And then and then he does have a number of really tremendous seasons. Misses some time, and then he's not great from you know age 34 to to you know really through last season by FIP. You know, his ERA was a little bit better, but, he, you know, he wasn't – he hasn't been this good in a really long time. And then this year, he's just – he's just ripping it. He's he's a top pitcher in baseball, and he looks like it too. He's going deep into games. He looks really strong. I mean, the Cardinals aren't probably going to make the playoffs. And, you know, the Dodgers better hope they don't because – and the Giants too because they don't <laughs> have to face Adam Wainwright in a one-game playoff. It could be tough because Wainwright is pushing seven innings per start almost, which is kind of crazy to think. He's only throwing a sub 90 mile an hour fastball. A lot really has come with his curve. Like you were saying, the last full season of an ERA for him that he pitched where it was below uh, four across the board was 2014. And then when he was playing then, his FIP was always kind of in line with it. The last couple of years, and this might speak to your pitchability point, his FIP is higher, a lot higher than his ERA. It's it's almost a full run higher uh, right now this year. It was almost a full run higher last year. Uh, it's been over four in the three previous years or four previous seasons. Like really kind of impressive that he is maintaining the way he is uh, because right now like he is throwing his curveball 35%, and he's throwing a sinker almost 28%, and his, his cutter another 21%. So maybe the, the velocity doesn't matter. If he's got kind of these ways to, to move the ball in and out, and he's still got the curveball to go up and down with, because the mix hasn't really changed, interestingly. He's throwing fewer four-seamers the last couple of years, but not like not like an eye-popping number less, 4%. So they're being scattered to his other offerings really into the sinker, which he's leaning into. Like, 
in terms of a mix, this does seem like something for him where he's like, okay, I'm old. Uh, I can't throw it as hard. Uh, maybe I need a little bit of more movement or maybe I can use that movement for some deception. And then I can get, uh, you know, I can come in and use the curveball as a hammer because it's, it's always been there for me. It's my, you know, it's my trusty tool. Uh, and things are going to be okay, except they've been like way better than that because even on, on the curve, he, he's still getting like, I think about an average amount of grounders and he's still getting good amounts of whiffs on it. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, Scherzer and Wainwright are in very different classes to me in my head, but how far apart do you think they are in actuality? Not as far as far apart as I'd like to think they are. I mean, they're they're both, you know, top tier right now. And they, and as you say, they've done it different ways. I mean, Scherzer has not changed who he is. He's still throwing almost as hard as he ever has. He's still throwing ninety four. You know, he threw ninety five probably at his peak, but that's pretty much as hard as he's ever thrown. He's still throwing pretty much the fastball, the slider, the change. As you said before, he's not, he hasn't really changed up the mix much since going to the Dodgers. Wayne Wright has had to reinvent himself a little bit, but he's done it. And now he's kind of figured it out a little bit. Maybe he's, he's had some good luck. I mean, his bat up is really pretty low at two, five, seven. I think it's the second lowest mark of his career. He hasn't given up very many home runs this year. And, you know, I kind of hate when we say they're like, Oh, he's lucky. He's not giving up any home runs when, you know, that's kind of, the goal all the time is not to give up home runs, but you know, that's, but still, you know, he's maybe given up a few less than he might, than you might expect from him. His ground bar rate has gone up though a little bit. He's up, up near, you know, his overall ground bar rate, I think it was what 48% for Wayne Wright this year, 46, 46.8% up near 47. So that's not quite where he, where he used to be, but um, certainly a lot better than last year. And he's still striking guys out and, and, you know, as we said, Scherzer definitely is too. They're different kinds of pitchers, even though, you know, Wainwright, because of his curveball, you know, he feels kind of like a strikeout guy. That's not really who he is. Not, not nearly the way that Scherzer is, but they're both kind of doing it. And I think Wainwright, I think of more as like a Charlie Morton type because of, they both have those, those hammers, but Wainwright's been doing it forever as well. Now, both these guys are really, all these guys kind of started a little bit late you know, Scherzer's first, uh, like his uh, real breakout season with the Tigers, you know, maybe 2013, he was 28 at that point, but he'd been a, you know, close to 200 innings guy since he was 25, but still 25. It's not like he came up super young. Same with Wainwright. Wainwright's first 200 inning season was when he was 25. Morton, we talked about, you know, wasn't even good till he was 33. So maybe there's something to the, these guys getting a bit of a late start, but that's not at all the case with Zach Grinky, right? Grinky came out when he was 20. He was awesome. Right. He's still pitching. He's still solid, even if he's not the guy that he's been in years past. Like his his K right K rate has fallen pretty alarmingly. Um, you know, even though his Grinky has 3.66 ERA, which is better than he had last year actually, but the FIP is really pretty elevated, up at 4.46. Still been worth 1.5 F4. Still making every single start. 27 starts, near 160 innings. But that K rate has really fallen a lot. Do you still trust Zach Grinky in a playoff game for the Astros? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I I guess the Astros, their rotation has been kind of interesting all year, hasn't it? And and who they might go to 
uh, might depend on the situation maybe more than other teams. If we, I mean, look at their, their kind of, uh, the way they might line up come the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a really kind of fascinating question. I guess they would have to as like an elder statesman type, but I don't know. I feel like they would have a, a quick hook on him. Maybe it would be McCullers first, uh, most likely. Um, and then who? You've got Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia behind him and Jose Urquidy. Um, and like it's not going to be Jake Odorizzi. So I, like, yeah, Grinky might get in there at some point. Uh, I'm kind of wondering what they do with him after this year as a free agent. Uh, and it kind of makes me think, you know, if they resign him or don't, like what would the next move be? Because if we look at all these names, we've got these names in terms of guys who are doing it. You mentioned them with uh, Granke and Verlander. Uh, you know, we've got guys behind them who are in their mid-30s, like Wade Miley of all names, for for God's sake. Yu Darvish, uh, Ryu, Kershaw, DeGrom. And then down the line types of Wheeler, Garrett Cole, Bueller, Stroman. So many of these guys can be traced back to the Astros and the Dodgers. Like, what is up with that? Like, I guess if they can, if we can trace them to that sense, I, like, sure, I'll trust Zach Grinke for a start and see if it works and have a quick hook. But what about overall? Like, like, how do we process the way the Dodgers and Astros are kind of like uh, mining these old guys and making them, you know, getting the most out of them? I mean, how do we beat the Dodgers and the Astros? I don't know. <laughs> nobody, nobody seems to know. It's just like, how do they end up with the old guys? Like, are, is is are people less interested, or do they just have the most to offer? Like, are they mo- the willing to willing to offer the most? I. It's very. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's part of. I do think that, like these, I mean, th- th- these are premier franchises at this point, at least the last couple of years. And I do think that you see, it's not an accident that you see some of these, you know, high end veteran pitchers being on the better teams. I mean. They, they're going to want to go where they have a chance to win. Right. And so like, you know, Verlander didn't sign there, neither did Grinky, but they both accepted a trade to Houston. And because they're older, they have these shorter term contracts typically, which is attractive for contending teams, especially as their primes kind of age, they're like prime players kind of age up. And so they become attractive trade targets. I mean, the Astros, they have so many players, you know, with their core beginning to age, you know, Springer and Altuve and Correa, all these guys kind of coming up together-ish. You know, they weren't necessarily looking to get, you know, the Jose Barrios type because Jose Barrios, you have to you have to extend him, right? right. Like these, that's a great get for the Blue Jays, but to keep him beyond next season, they're going to, have to pay him a ton of money. Like when the Astros got Verlander and Grinky, that wasn't the case for those guys, right? And same thing with the Dodgers now and Scherzer. Like they're going to try their best to keep them, but they don't have to commit long long-term money for these guys which is which is huge but it works out for both sides because you know those guys want to play for contenders the contenders need them and the contenders are able to give you know raise their their payrolls a little bit they have the extra money to, to give for these guys so it makes sense that they're on the contending teams i don't know what that means for the future of a guy like grinky like i do think that he'll i mean grinky's always been his own animal yeah. And oh, so yeah. it's hard to say what he'd ever do, but I mean, he's over 3000 innings pitched. He has almost twice as many career innings as Charlie Morton. Like 3000 <laughs> innings is insane. Like that's over, that's like 500 more innings than, than either Wainwright or Scherzer. Like dude has, has put in his time. He has put in the work. I definitely trust Grinky for three innings of a playoff game. I'm not sure you want to go, you know, much more than that, but yeah, give him to me for three innings. And next year, 
you'd think he'd have a spot on some contender as some, you know, as the fifth, fourth starter for, for some team. Maybe it's the Astros again, but I couldn't begin to guess where where Zach Greinke wants to play if he wants to keep playing. Uh, and I kind of wonder how long into the winter it might take for him to sign. I like like you were saying, he's been pitching since he's been 20 in the major leagues. He's thrown 200 innings, like half of those 18 years he's been around. He's got a ton of innings on his ledger. He's going to have more than 3,100 by the end of this season. He doesn't need the money, right? Like he can afford to wait and kind of pick and choose where he might want to end up. And uh, I guess, I, I don't know, I, I'm reminded almost of the conversation we had sometime earlier this summer about all the moving parts that ultimately help uh, detail what it is to have a winning franchise and and all the things, all the plates you need to balance all at once to really pull it off. And talking about whether the aging curve might be shifting a little bit, whether it's uh, selection bias because uh, or survivor bias because these are the best guys, so that's of course who we're going to be drawn to, or you know the the best teams are going to be looking for these players and these kinds of contracts. I don't know. Like I guess, I guess as the more we talk, the less it seems important to pin down one specific reason. And it's almost like most critical to be like, oh, wait, this is happening. Like, this is this is interesting. It's happening. And I guess let's just see how long it lasts. Like, out of these guys, you know, any one of them could pitch another year or two. Adam Wainwright said he intends to pitch next year. So that'll be interesting to see whether it's with the Cardinals or not. Verlander reportedly wants to come back and uh, wants to start. Um, Grinky, again, an odd dude. In some regards, but I'm sure we could yeah, see him knows. on the market. Uh, I don't want to take any bet on that. I'm not going to be, be putting down any action on that one. <laughs> um, in this, in these categories of like kind of the on deck names or the down the line names, do you see any of them aging into what Scherzer, Wainwright, Grinky, Verlander have become? Yeah, I mean, you Darvish is the name that immediately jumps out. I could, I could definitely see Darvish being the same guy that he is now, in four or five years. But I could see Darvish being thirty-seven, thirty-eight, and still being kind of a front of the rotation guy, like somebody that we kind of count out at a certain point when his next contract is up. You know, he'll he'll be a free agent and entering what age thirty-six? His age thirty-six season, I think. Yeah, uh, well, he's, and, he's and, and, 35 now. He just turned 35 uh, less than a month ago, and then he's a free agent in 2024. Yeah, so he's going to be – he'll be older then, but I don't – he's definitely the type of guy that I could see aging really gracefully. I mean, we know he throws a billion pitches. He has the you know the velocity, of course, but he's a guy who's kept in shape and has clearly found a way to make this work in a lot of different places. He's definitely somebody I could see – keep it up. You know, I definitely worry about Kershaw and DeGrom. I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't put my money on Kershaw. Obviously now Kershaw, he's, he's, you know, not quite the same guy that he used to be. He's still excellent when he's out there, but given the last two seasons, it's just hard to know what he exactly has left in the tank in terms of staying healthy. And DeGrom, you would have thought before this season that he would have been the type of guy, right? Yeah. But just all the arm injuries this year and all the, there's just the uncertainty behind him. And it just feels like, God, it just feels like something bigger is coming for him at some point. And, and I don't know if that's, you know, if he eventually has Tommy John, it's, you know, at any point beyond this season, he's already 33, like he's getting up there. So, you know, he started late, so he has less, 
miles on his arm because he was a you know shortstop coming up. But just the way he, things have gone of late, I definitely worry about about him and and what's going to happen over the next couple of years. But you know, Darvish is the guy I would put my money on. Other than him, man, I don't know. I don't know about these other guys. I mean, Wheeler seems durable, but he's had his own arm surgeries before. You know, Sam McCole, he's had problems. So, you know, Bueller hasn't had anything yet. So maybe he'll end up being one of these just like insane, you know, unicorn types who never gets hurt and is fine forever. But, you know, I wouldn't bank on anybody. I mean, that's the thing, right? Right. These guys are total unicorns. Like you never bank on somebody becoming Max Scherzer, even Max Scherzer. <laughs> you don't bank on him staying Max that's Scherzer. True. Uh, that's absolutely true. And and I think Bueller is the one that really sticks out to me is interesting because he hasn't really thrown more than 180 innings before. He threw 182 and a third in 2019. He's thrown 179 so far. So this year might be really his first year of like being a, a true horse. Uh, and I mean, 180 innings in yeah. 2019 is nothing to sneeze at, but it's, it's not the kind of number you think of when you think of this pitcher who's been around forever, who does stick around forever, mostly because they don't just give you the innings, but because they are so quality. Uh, so I'm very curious to watch him. Uh, Marcus Stroman is interesting to me just because he's kind of aged into a career year now and the way he, uh, if, if anybody has followed him uh, on social media or anything, you know he's always looking to get better and he's very explicit and deliberate about that. That's very interesting. Yeah. Wheeler and Cole. And ground ball guy, like I can see a ground ball guy really aging That's true. Well. That's true, and he's found a way to add you know, strikeouts. Especially the right team. Yeah, I, I can see him being a guy. Of course, we don't know where he's going to be. He's a free agent for this season, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of contract he even signs, where he ends up. He clearly likes being in New York, but, you know, there's no guarantee that he's going to stay there. He'll go wherever he gets the contract, and, it's, you know, Anybody's guess as to where that's going to be. That's true. Uh, I think that'll be interesting to follow for, for myriad reasons. Just – in addition uh, to what the free agent market might look like, it's also the Mets, uh, which brings me to Jacob DeGrom and how, like, just how weird this arm injury has been all year, right? Yeah. It's been off and on. It's been ticky-tack stuff. It's been this. It's been that. It, it's been emphasized as something that has not been structural at all. And then we learned this week that it's been, he has uh, a partial tear in his UCL that Sandy Alderson said resolved itself, like, as if it's a yeah, sentient, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, like UCL, and he's like, I don't like this. Yeah. I'm going to fix myself. Like, what are you talking about, Sandy? That's, a, that's not how UCLs work. I, I do not know at all what what is happening there. It sounds bad. It's, it, it all seems very bad. I mean, it seems like one of those cases where one injury, one small injury leads to another small injury leads to another small injury. Jude throws, you know, 100 miles an hour every single time. He's incredibly fluid, but that doesn't mean that he's immune to arm injuries, especially once, you know, your body starts compensating and you, you have these little injuries and it happens. I, and I don't know, you know, what this UCL tear is about. I'll be surprised if he comes back at all this season. It doesn't seem worth it at this point. No. You know, they've got to get him ready for next year, but who knows even what that means. I mean, this, this, everything about DeGrom this season has been just really bizarre. The first half of the season, he's so good, it's bizarre. Second half of the season, he's got these weird injuries, and you don't know what's going on. So I have no idea. I couldn't begin to project what's going to happen with Jacob DeGrom in the future. Hopefully he's able to come back healthy and, you know, his body continues to heal itself yeah. or whatever's uh, happening there. Yeah, there's, like, unicorn blood involved in dark forests <laughs> and magical castles. But uh, 
The thing that concerns me, I think, with DeGrom is that it's the Mets, and it's not that, like, oh, it's not like low Mets, right? Like, as funny as that has been in the past, it's kind of reaching a point where it seems tragic with that franchise. They are just such a mess. Oh, yeah. And the the weird way that they handle injuries, and, and weird is maybe generous, it's, like, borderline negligent, it seems, given the history, really dates back even back to, like, Pedro Martinez and the way they handled his own injuries and how uh, they... <laughs> They were insistent he pitched when injured when he said, no, I need surgery. Uh, and then he got this, like, it pushed it back and he was injured the next year. And it's like, I am just, I don't know. I'm like, um, I'm like shell-shocked. I'm like waiting for the for the other shoe to drop with the Mets and Jacob deGrom because he's there. He's got his deal. They're not going to trade him. Now he does have these question marks over him. And it's just like, I just hope he's able to stick around because he, he is so good. His mechanics are so clean. And sometimes UCLs do just break. But he seemed to be in a really good position. Like you were saying, the mileage on his arm, something I was talking about a ton before the season started. Like he's really set up to be really good for a really long time. You know, he he kind of looks like Randy Johnson in terms of career path and late starts and breakouts and all that. So I just hope he gets back. Uh, And I hope maybe we get one or two of these other guys. I mean, Miley's been a revelation, but I don't think he's at the level of of anyone else here we're talking about just yet. And Darvish has his own medical issues, although he does seem most likely. So it's almost like, I don't know, like you're saying, I guess we can't bank on it. But can um, can we look forward to it? Can we expect it to keep happening? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think there's always going to be a couple of guys. You know, there's always the R.A. Dickies and the, you know, Bartolo Colon's the guy who just keep <laughs> pitching and and kind of coming and coming up out of nowhere. And you know, there are gonna be more Charlie Mortons as unique as he is. And you know, it's exciting to think about who, you know, which of these pitchers right now that we're you know denigrating all the time for being a, a number four starter or whatever, who ends up at some point, you know, t- making that leap. And somebody's going to, and multiple guys are going to. But we don't know who they are, and I don't know that we have the, uh, you know, this is something that I don't think numbers can tell us, right? This is where as much as we can forecast, as much as we can project, it's like the, the incredible things the models can do for us, they can't really, I don't think, tell us who the next Max Scherzer is going to be as much as, you know, you can study these things and figure out what the, some of the injury trends are. But, again, these aren't the things that are usual. These are the things that are unusual. Right these guys who are this good this late in their careers. And so there's not, you know, these are the outliers. So you don't really have a model to predict the outliers. So right. Models. Work we'll see. To, it's exciting to think about who they might be. Models work uh, based on who isn't an outlier and, and finding guys that <laughs> way. <laughs> exactly. Right. So like who knows who these next guys are going to be or the guys who, who end up being 37, 38 and, and making it work. It's, it's pretty exciting though. Cause it's definitely one of the more exciting parts of the game to kind of track these guys, especially as they're pitching some of the biggest games, in the league right yeah. now, right? This, there's, these are the games worth watching. Yeah, and, and uh, just one other note on Morton as we're talking, and I was thinking about it. I'm thinking, like, he signed with the Astros ahead of 2017 after a four-game stint with the Phillies where he looked incredible. He had all this velocity that he hadn't shown previously, uh, and then he blew out his hamstring. And um, recently, uh, you know, Saras at The Athletic and Max Bay, who he's worked on with his, like, stuff and uh, – uh, pitching plus numbers and all of that have found that four games is a really useful benchmark for being able to evaluate a pitcher. And I wonder if the Astros knew <laughs> that 
in 2017. Just like thinking about how often we hear teams know so much more years in advance of the public. Uh, we know the Astros were so far ahead of things. I wonder if that was the case there. And I, I just, I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll never know, but it'll be fun to speculate. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't shock me if they, you know, we certainly look at it as if like, oh, so it was a flyer and they kind of hit on them. Right. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if there are people in that organization who were like, you know, this was not an accident. Right, right. smashing the buy button on Charlie Morton. Um, right, if nothing else, they knew it was a possibility. Like, you never know for sure, but you get these guys, you know, thinking that the, you know, the likelihood of Charlie Morton breaking out at 33 was better oh, yeah. than, you know, the other options on the market. And, you know, they hit on right. that one, so... Good on him. Right, yeah, and again, that'll be fun to watch too, especially as we learn to keep an eye on which which orgs are the best at developing things like that. Uh, so as we move into this week in baseball, we've already discussed the Jacob deGrom fiasco, uh, more pitcher injuries. Zach Eflin of the Phillies is getting knee surgery after coming back and getting ready to start and then being like, oops, no, I'm still hurt. And he's going to be out six to eight months. They didn't even make one start. Didn't even make one like, start. Dramatically. Got scratched before his start. Dramatically reshapes the Phillies' uh, end of season hopes. Dramatically reshapes their winter goals and necessities, uh, possibly given that he might be out until June or better. Uh, I, I don't know. Do I, can I do yeah. anything but shrug? <laughs> no, I mean, it's tough. This one, this one is a bummer. But, you know, it also just speaks to the organizational depth. Like, this is... Like you can't bank on having Zach Eflin. Zach Eflin's not—he's not good enough to be like, oh well, you can't replace him. Like, you know, Max Scherzer. We can talk about him. Even like you know Steven Strasburg, right? We can talk about Strasburg. It's like, oh, you don't have him yet. Yeah, that's gonna tank the Nats season no matter what. Zach Eflin should not tank your season no matter what. You should have guys who can step in and be at least a reasonable facsimile of of Zach Eflin. He's good. Like, don't get me wrong, guy's really good, but he's not. He should not. He's not irreplaceable. No, he's and for the Phillies, he's absolutely irreplaceable. And that's, you know, that's the problem with this organization right now. They don't have the depth, and they need to find a way this offseason to get it. Uh, I know. <laughs> um, I I just wish there was more to say that was fun to say, but uh. In better news, the Rays are promoting uh, Josh Lowe, one of their top prospects. Uh, probably not going to be up long, given that we know the yeah. Rays are doing it. But he, he's 24 for 24 in stolen bases in the minors this year. I don't see those numbers very often. That many at that like obviously incredible elite unicorn-type rate. Um, do we get anything fun out of Josh Lowe and what will inevitably be a cup of coffee here at the end of the year? I mean, not a lot. It'll be, it'll be fun to see him, but like... They don't need him. They don't even have space for him. Like they have Kevin Kiermaier, they have Austin Meadows. You know, they have Manny Margot. They have Randy Rosarina. Like they are, they're full up in the outfield. <laughs> they don't have space for him. They have you know Jordan Luplo who's playing. Like I guess they can go full on platoon, but they're not going to sit Randy Rosarina that much. I mean, it's a nice little pat on the back for Josh Lowe who gets to come up and, and have a moment, and you know were something to happen to one of these guys, who knows? But it just, it just feels like there's not even really space for him on the roster long-term this season. And then, you know, next season, I assume they're going to trade Austin Meadows and maybe Kiermaier if they can find a taker, maybe Margot, who knows? So, you know, they're going to open up some space for this guy, and he should be pretty fun to watch. At least, you know, he looks like he's got speed, he's got power. They say he can stick in center with the Rays. The Rays only really take 
elite elite glove in center. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if he moves off some point. But they say he can, you know, hang in the middle. His strikeout rate's a little high. That's kind of the concern with him. But he walks. He looks, he looks great. He looks like a legit breakout. Of course, because why wouldn't he be? He's plays for the race, right? Uh, that is exactly right. I wonder almost what they do with that depth, and if they maybe look to address the rotation with another top of the top of the rotation type of arm, because like maybe a DFA comes for Tyler Glass now. As insane as that sounds. Uh, yeah, it's it's certainly possible. I mean, they talked about trading him to the the Cubs had a conversation with them at the deadline about acquiring him. I don't know that there would be a DFA. I assume that some team would would take him for not probably for a whole lot, but for something. Yeah. I would think just taking a shot on his his last season. So probably the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Andrews is going to the Dodgers. I mean, God, how terrible is it? It's just like he'll end up going to the Dodgers. The Rays have so many prospects they can't even play them all, and the Phillies are just like just like scrambling. They're just like they just like can't find. Can't find enough guys, and the the Rays are literally like turning guys away who are potential studs, and yep. in, in a in a you know playoff year where they have a chance to they're the best team in baseball, and they're like, God, what are we gonna do with all these prospects? I was like, <laughs> we're gonna to, like we're gonna have to trade Austin Meadows. They're gonna trade Austin Meadows, who who has been like one of the most marketable players of the last couple of years, and nobody will even shrug, nobody will even care in Tampa. Like, no, no, no. everyone expects him to go anyways. Right. He's a flawed player. It's like, <laughs> yeah, they'll trade him. They'll, they'll trade him along with some reliever or some pitcher, and they'll package them together and ship him off, you know, probably to Philly for like Alec Bohm and, and something and, and you know, make the Phillies look like fools. They'll get Alec Bohm to stop hitting ground balls. Exactly. They'll give him the Yandy Diaz treatment or just, I mean, they didn't really figure it out with Diaz exactly, but maybe they'll just keep working on it together. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, the Blue Jays apparently want to extend Marcus Semien and Robbie Ray. Do you think either of them signs in Toronto again? Uh, I can see Semien signing for sure. I mean, I think he's the guy they're really prioritizing right now. I don't, I don't see. I mean, I, I definitely see why Semien would want to stay. He didn't have a great market last year. The Jays seem like one of the teams that will be willing to pay. God, Robbie Ray scares the heck out of me. I do not want to be the team signing Robbie Ray as good as he's been this year. Oh man, I don't know the amount of money that he's going to demand. Especially like, dude could win this. He could legitimately win the Cy Young. He could win the Cy Young, and it just—I mean—that that feels like a contract that could theoretically like tank whatever you know future this Blue Jays team has. I mean, it's going to be a huge amount of money, and maybe he can keep it up. I don't know. I just don't have a lot of confidence in Ray long term. We'll see. Semyon. There's going to be some teams bidding for him, but I don't know that anyone pays more than the than the Blue Jays. They seem like they're willing to go all in on this guy, and they have, especially after trading Austin Martin. They you know, they have Aurelvis Martinez coming up. They have a couple other infield prospects, but they have room. They have room for Semien and and you know prospects coming up. Biggio's not going to be there forever. They got they got space in that infield all of a sudden. Well, and Biggio's had such a a tough year in terms of injury and performance, and now he's done for the season and. Yeah, I think you can find a way to, to keep Marcus Semien around. I'm just kind of curious what being eligible really to play both second base and shortstop good and hit 40 homers. Like, that's kind of – like, I'm very curious yeah. to see what that contract looks like. And Robbie Ray also terrifies me. I don't think – I like, God, just uh, – what a 30 for 30 that could be about. Like, Robbie Ray ended the uh, Blue Jays <laughs> – <laughs> ended ended their core prematurely and and their run 
Uh, yeah, and he, he could win the Cy Young. That is such a, an incredible statement. I don't know that he does. Like, Cole's still been awesome. Ivaldi has been amazing. Um, but really, it's it's like those three and Dylan Cease and Frankie Montas have been the, the best pitchers in the AL this year, which is wild. I guess it's been yeah, top-heavy in, what is, what is in happening? the NL. Yeah, very strange. Uh, also, Chris Flexen's still number nine, so go Chris Flexen. Yeah. Uh, the, so the the Brewers and the Dodgers each, each place somebody on IL and the Yankees. We can throw that last one in there too. The Dodgers place AJ Pollock on IL with a, high, a hamstring strain. He's going to miss at least two weeks. Willie Adames is on IL with a quad strain, and the Yankees put Lo- Jonathan Loizaga on IL with a rotator cuff strain. TC, which of these three is the most impactful injury for any of these given teams and their playoff hopes or um, you know goals once they get there? I mean, these are all relatively rough, but I mean, I think Adamas is the is the obvious one here. He's been so good for the Brewers. They also probably have the the most depth to to recover for him. I'm mean, they'll stick Urias there at shortstop and be relatively okay. But Adamas has very quickly turned into kind of the the spirit of that team. Hopefully, he's not out for long, and they're able to get him back and and you know back to his usual self before the before the playoffs because. For that team not to have a healthy Willie Damas for the playoff run would be just a real shame. I mean, they need him in there. Christian Yelich has not been the same guy that he's been in the past. I mean, Adamas has been their best player. Yeah, pretty handy on offense, and they 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 need him, and they definitely need him at, in the middle of that lineup and on the field. There, there's that will be relatively devastating for them if they don't have him for the playoffs. So. We'll see. I, I tend to agree. I'm curious what the Yankees do to replace Levisaga, but I think Adames, like you're saying, has just been so freaking good for, for Milwaukee. Uh, so, TC, with all of this said, with all of this going on in baseball this week, all we dug into with these old guys who are so much fun to watch, uh, where can we find you to keep getting all, all your ideas and all of these things and more uh, online and elsewhere? Yeah, find me on, on Twitter. I'm not hanging around there all that often these days, but you can find me there and reach out at TC Zanka. I'm around the, the PitcherList Discord. I got an article I'm working on there for PitcherList soon, coming out very soon, hopefully this week. And then uh, I'll be over at MLB Trade Rumors this weekend, tracking tracking the player movement, see what's happening. And there's been a ton lately. Every few days it seems like we get a slew, so make sure you all go check them out there. Uh, you can find me at Tim Jackson Says on Twitter. You can find me at Baseball Prospectus, uh, doing the depth charts, of course, doing a fantasy freestyle, of course, uh, every other week. And uh, I've been thinking about fastballs so much lately and, and how much they're necessary, even though they're getting thrown less and all of that. So um, keep tabs on that stuff with me there. Uh, picture this Discord, of course, great community. So many people uh, having so many lively conversations that's worth tuning into. You can find the pod at BreakingPodPL on Twitter, and you can email us at BreakingPodPL at gmail.com. And if you have gotten this far once more, we, we love it. We, we can't appreciate it more than we do. Uh, really do uh, enjoy that you guys enjoy spending time with us. So if you could rate and review us uh, five stars and all of that, that, that goes a long way toward helping us out. Uh, and giving us a chance to keep having these conversations with you. So uh, that's all for this week. And until next week, we hope you all have the best week ever. See you, everybody.